Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 44th episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Dene, Nakota Sioux, Métis, and others for time immemorial. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I've been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interviewed author Michael R. French. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting. Each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. I'm continuing to build my main character's backstory in the Jeffrey Epstein-inspired novel The Price of Fame as I do a second round of editing. Having a character who has a past instead of someone whose story starts on page one gives context to the story. Their past informs the decisions that they make in the future. The whole backstory might not end up in the novel, but it's important for me to know her backstory so her logic remains consistent throughout the novel. I'm going through and doing that with my postbellum romance that I'm still in the first draft with as well. I don't think there's any better thing you can do for your story than have well-developed characters. I'm also continuing to work on a third novel about a woman addicted to cocaine. I'm still in the very rough draft stages, but it's beginning to take shape. It's like when I took a 3D art class in high school, and they had us make clay busts. It took a long time before the busts were actually recognizable as what they would eventually become. Because you start from the shoulders and work up, and then do the basic shapes, then add features, then add fine details with the clay, then you paint, and then you add the paint on in layers. So it takes a lot of fine detailing and many stages of different types of applied effort before you get the final product that is actually a full color sculpture of a shoulder and head. Writing is the same way. You start with a lump of an idea in your head. That's the base. You build up basics onto that with some plot and add some fine details in the story and the characters. And the editing is where you paint the color on in layers. And now for my interview with author Michael R. French. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Where I was born was Los Angeles. Uh, where I've uh, lived last was uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, right now, I'm in, living in Santa Barbara, um, and I've been around the Horn, I guess, uh, different different places. And what I do is, uh, right now, I, I'm pretty much a full-time writer, uh, before that, uh, the last 30, 40 years, I had uh, another another job, started a company with my wife, um, raised two children, kept very busy, and uh, but never stopped writing. I always was writing something. 
Excellent. And it's from your from your resume, which is quite impressive. It seems like writing was always something that was kind of at the core of what you wanted to do with, you know, you majored in English at Stanford with focus in creative writing and then went on to get a degree in journalism from Northwestern. How did you kind of stick with writing, even with having a, a career else, elsewhere? I, I think it's, uh, well, for me, um, it started in the teenage years, the, the moody years, the uh, no one cares about me years, uh, when you can uh, just close the door to your room and you had, I had a typewriter in, in those days, but a uh, computer typewriter. And it's, um, you can involve yourself um, with, with your thoughts, with your emotions, uh, without worrying about, am I offending anybody? Am I being a bore? Uh, I think all writers maybe start a little bit with their insecurity as a motivating uh, factor, any artist, I should say. And uh, once you start doing that, it becomes, it did for me, a substitute for normal social, uh, <laughs> I don't say complete social interaction, but, but it, it was my go-to if I, uh, if I just wanted to feel better or take a break, would be to read or to write. Absolutely. Definitely can relate to that. <laughs> Some of my uh, best slash worst teenage poetry came from exactly yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, we, should, we should have a compendium of everybody's first, you know, two or three poems <laughs> and publish them, you know, and say, this is how it started. It, oh, it no. reminds me of, of <laughs> yeah, the, other, the other advice, you know, the writers should hear is that um, don't expect the, the world to sit up and take notice of you just because you're taking notice of yourself. Uh, the number of rejection uh, letters or slips um, in my early days, you know, that, that was just pro forma. And it was good in the sense that uh, while you're very sensitive as a, as a teenager, you get used to certain things. And one of them is that, okay, this, my manuscript wasn't right for this publisher or whatever. Um, but um, I really like the story. And that's important for you to like your own work. Uh, if, and suddenly to get discouraged because someone else doesn't like your work, that's a big mistake. You should have a, a safeguard against that. I like that you mentioned mistakes. Mistakes are something that we all make. How do you kind of learn from those and, and move forward? Well, uh, if you're talking about um, writing mistakes or you're talking just in general, your judgment about publishing or all, or all of the above. All of the above, really. All, all the of the above, yeah. Well, um, you know, mistakes are, are vital. Um, if you don't really make them, you don't really learn uh, you know, from them. You can hear somebody else's story about their mistake and that might make a dent, but not like, you know, when you do it yourself. And the important thing you tell yourself is not to do it twice. If you make the same, if you make the same mistake twice or three times, you have to examine why, you know, is this a habit that you'll never break? Is this something, a lesson you'll never learn? I mean, what, what is really going on in your mind? And those are the things that, that you puzzle with. But, but I think it's um, always a mistake to be, uh, try to be perfect because um, you'll never be anything close to perfect no matter what. But the more mistakes you make, the closer you'll come to maybe realizing your writing goals. Definitely. It, it's, it's so important to realize that we'll never be perfect. Like even, even some of the writing greats out there, like Stephen King is one of the most accomplished authors of our time. And there are people who absolutely hate his books. I'm not one of them, but there are people who can't stand his writing. 
Yeah. And it's, that's going to be anything you write. People might, you know, read it and be like, wow, you're, you're, you're the next Michael Crichton or whatever. Other people are going to be like, pass. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't get it. You know, I mean, I, I, w- I met Stephen King once a long time ago. Uh, we had the same British agent and um, he was already, you know, way up there high on the ladder after two or three books, Carrie, I think Salem's Lot and um, one other. And, and not only was he prolific, uh, which made a lot of other people, je- other writers jealous. <laughs> was like, he told me, he said, I can write 10,000 words a day. And I said, good words? He says, oh, absolutely. I wouldn't keep them. You know, he was very down home, you know, very funny. And he was just a natural talent. So I can see someone not liking his genre or not liking his books, but you can't deny his talent. Yeah. And he's always been a very humble person. I'm, I'm, I'm an admirer. <laughs> For sure. I, like, I just remember, I'll never forget this one editing class I took where literally we, we picked apart Stephen King writing and improved on it. It's already perfect. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that must have yeah. been an interesting exercise. <laughs> well, I just I just turned it in as it was, and it's like, eh. like, yeah, it's perfect. You can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can make but that. That's, that's the thing is that like nobody is ever gonna think your writing is. Well, not everybody is always gonna think you can't please everybody. And when you, when you're trying to, your writing will suffer as a result. Have you ever had kind of situations like that where you've felt your writing suffer from trying to please too many people or any advice regarding that issue? I, I, oh, that's such a good question. I mean, my response would be when I have a um, writer's block is kind of an, an old fashioned, but not inaccurate phrase that when, you know, nothing seems to come together you know, you, what you try to do is I do is reverse engineer it and say, okay, what happened from the last book, which I liked and or sold well, or was well-received, whatever. And to what I'm doing now, which is just mush. And uh, how did I get from there to here? And how do I get out of it? And often it's, for me, it's like, there's something in your personal life that is interfering with your, your writing life. And if we all have very busy lives, which we do, and we have other jobs and we have children to raise or whatever their, our obligations are, you have to kind of say, well, I got to back up. I got to find, maybe take a pause, uh, do some more reading, not think about writing. And then you kind of let yourself fall into um, hopefully another kind of rhythm as you continue your career. For sure. What is your writing process like? Are you kind of a, do you plan it out ahead of time? Do you kind of go by the seat of your pants or are um, you a planter? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, when you have a good idea uh, and you may have several ideas over time or at once and, and you feel really compelled to write that, which to me means, okay, I'm going to try and be objective and think about this idea as I have planned it to, to how somebody else might receive it. And if you kind of feel there's, you know, there's a general universal, uh, somewhat universal response to what you write, um, and then you go ahead and do it, that, that's what I start with. I have never had uh, maybe a vague idea how a book would end, never um, what's going to happen between beginning to end. And uh, the, the most difficult part for me, therefore, is always the middle. 
is that the middle is really makes a story. Um, it's like the character arcs and, you know, who do you, is a sympathetic character becoming too unsympathetic or vice versa? I mean, it's a whole layered, as you know, it's a layered process. And, and the more patience you have with writing and rewriting, the better the final product is, is going to be. How do you tackle that rewriting? Cause that's, that's the part that always gets me. Like I can, I can turn out a draft, no problem. Like it's, it's a, it's a, first draft it's got its problems they all do but it's like I can turn it out no problem it's the rewriting that I always get stuck up in how do you how do you combat your rewriting yeah so another good question because there's different types of rewriting when someone says to you oh how many times did you did you rewrite this and I don't answer this but I think to myself well, you know, if you count every time I made a change of, of one word on a page, I say I've rewritten this a hundred times because some editing is like, you know, fine tooth comb and you go back and, and um, you, you say, oh my, this is totally wrong. Just one thing. But then if you change one thing, as you know, then you may have to change another thing. And if you change that thing, you know, and you don't want to lose control of your process or of your story that's 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 very tricky but but i i'm i'm the one one who believes that all good writing as they say is rewriting in the sense that you can make that jump from a very nice pleasing first draft to something that you didn't foresee when you started that first draft and that's a sense of accomplishment Look what I made of this story. And only you know, and no one cares if you tell them. <laughs> it's, your, it's your private victory. <laughs> you know? And that's, that's important that you can have that dialogue with yourself. 100%. Yeah. When people ask me about my rewriting, my, my very first one, my very first novel that I put out, I, I only did one rewrite of, which is a mistake, which you got to learn from. And I always tell people now, it's like I ended up with an accidental zombie because I killed her. She was dead and buried on page 82. And then on page 96, there she was again. (laughs) Nobody caught that because I only rewrote it once. And now I rewrite it like a million and a half times because you just you you keep going back. And yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's how important and exhausting rewriting can be, uh, but how important it also is. Uh, and we all, I don't know I, I, how many books you probably read more than I do. I, but when I read a book, I read it very slowly and I will catch everything. I will catch if the author, you know, obviously if he used the wrong name or the character, as you said, character died and then reappears 30 pages let, uh, later. It's not just the, those things that are so obvious, maybe, but but subtle things in the writing. You can tell when the writer was kind of taking his mind off the project and was just kind of you know muddling through just to get from A to B or B to C. And he he or she could have rewritten it. You tell yourself, but you, I don't judge. I just note that for myself to help to help myself learn from that particular book. For sure, I think it's even almost important to read some bad writing, not too much because you don't want to make your writing bad by association, but even some books that are not necessarily the best written, but still have a good story to them. I find quite helpful because it's an example of what not to do while still also having that excellent story element that I'm always striving for. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's an interesting thought because um, you made me think of uh, books that I've read where um, the writing was really quite not very up to par, shall we say. 
Um, but there's something about the story that may have hooked you or may have hooked other people. And um, I, I like to think of the story, and I think I have the facts right, that uh, I think it was Random House Penguin that picked up uh, Fifty Shades of Grey in, in the ocean of, uh, in the ocean, the mighty ocean of self-published works. And, um, and, and I hear some people say, how could, you know, Random House, an, an esteemed, established house, uh, pick that up? And I, I just look at them and say, how could they not? Because, I mean, they, they took a chance and the difference and I think it's like three years or maybe four years of profit and loss was strictly due to the revenues from Fifty Shades of Grey and its sequels. So if you're a publisher, you want to stay in business. It's, it's not just the story of the writer surviving. The publishing house has to survive. The mechanisms for which we, we find our, our readers has to survive. So it's like I'm always interested in things like that. Like what, what suddenly becomes a bestseller and how important it is to publishers and what can we learn as a writer, what can we learn from it? For sure. Yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey is um, the one that comes immediately to mind when I think of stories that have done extremely well, but aren't maybe the best written because yeah, yeah. yeah, that one was painful to read. <laughs> right. But then don't you have to ask yourself, okay, does anybody else feel the same pain that I do? Do they, do they not want to finish it? I mean, the whole thing is, as we know, right? You want, to, you want to finish the book. You want to get to that end. That's very important, you know, and you have to get there. Uh, so I don't know how many people may have bought the book and then put it down. I, I just was reading it from a point, point of view of saying, okay, I like the story. It's interesting. And I can see why people turned the page. And yeah, I think I was right about that. But for sure, like it's the story hooks you. And that's that's really that thing that we all strive for is that your story will hook people. And that's anytime people ask me how they can be better at writing, that's always the thing I tell them. Like your grammar might be messy. Your sentence structure might not be great. We can hire editors for that. But you can't hire an editor to fix the fact that your story doesn't have a story to it. <laughs> No matter what your editor can do, they can't write your story for you. Yeah. And, and as you know, you know, when you say write a story, it's more than writing a plot line and it's more than having characters um, live that story through their point of view. It, it's, the, it's the writing that you do that create that, uh, th- those characters. Just the way maybe you describe a character. Um, um, that's always been... Um, not easy for me to make something different than saying, oh, she had azure eyes and a twinkle in her, you know, in her smile, uh, you know, stuff like that. The reader wants the description. So you have to kind of decide, you know, how you want to go about that. So it's these little details that add up to keep the reader's um, eyes on the page. And you, you always have to be mindful of that. Uh, I also struggle with character descriptions because it seems like everything you could say has been said so many times already and it has <laughs> pretty much you know somebody can say oh i didn't didn't somebody else use that line about the you know the color of their hair or whatever i said i have no idea if you do a plagiarism check i'm sure you will find maybe 30 other you know authors did something like that because there's only so many words in the dictionary and we you know and so you have to be imaginative how you how you do the descriptions 
Well, and there's only so many combinations of how people can look, really. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're not describing ET. You're describing exactly. A human being. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're tall or we're short. We're fat or we're thin. Like there's there's only so much variety here. But you you'd like to look at a way a way a character talks or you know what makes a character smile. If you just get a little you know private, allow your reader to get a private glimpse of that character, whether it's an omniscient point of view or a third person point of view, um, just to make the the reader think of the of that character a little bit differently. So it will stay in the reader's mind a little longer. I think that's a, a, a worthy objective. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, when you can actually picture them in your mind's eye as you're writing, yeah. that I find helps a lot too. And my one thing I would add to that is that, um, you know, you can finish a book and you can like it or dislike it or can sell or not sell, gets good reviews or not good reviews. But the ultimate test to me is that what's your personal feeling about the characters you created? Not so much the plot. I'm a believer that the plot is a vehicle by which the characters can come through to the reader's mind or imagination and be memorable. So that as a writer, you want your characters to be memorable to yourself, right? And honestly, I look back at some of my books, I can't remember their names, let alone their physical, <laughs> let alone their physical descriptions. But the books that I was really into, yeah, they're, they're sort of become my friends. I mean, I, I think back upon them as if they are real people. I, have, I never feel uncomfortable around them, uh, even though they're not necessarily a great or a bad character, whatever they are, but they're, they're memorable to me. And, and that's my hope that they'd be memorable to, to a reader. I love how you, how you say that. You're never uncomfortable around them, regardless of whether they're maybe not even a good person, because, you know, we do have to have those villains in there as well. We've got that conflict in there. That's what makes the story happen, really. But you have to know them on that deep level. Like, who are they? What's driving them? And that's that's part of the struggle of of getting that that story going. It's really It really is that the book is driven by characters. If you don't have characters that you know to their core, your book's going to feel flat and one-dimensional. That's... Yes, yes. And and so that's one as you're writing along, you know, it's saying if you're eager in the I write in the morning. So if you're eager to get out of bed and start writing, you know, your your eagerness is probably due because you're involved. You know, I think maybe the plot as well, but but the character is is very important. I like to tell people um, about how important it is to know your character by saying, you know, and I learned this in a creative writing class. Try, if you really have the patience and you really are into your book, try imagining the character, this fictional character off the page, which means you might have, in your, in your imagination, imagine your character going to a dry cleaner and picking up his, his or her clothes and they're not, something is wrong with their clothes. And what would your character say? Now, this is not a scene in the book. It will never be a scene in the book, but it's an example of like, okay, um, this will give you another idea of a dimension of this character that you might use in the book or get you more comfortable with the character. So that's how strongly I, I feel about that. For sure. I love getting to know my characters and putting them in weird situations. Like, okay, you went through the drive-thru, they put pickles on after you forgot, uh, you asked no pickles, they put them on there. Like, yeah, you're going to freak yeah. out at them? You're going to yeah. like yeah. throw it at them? What are you going to do? 
the pickles. I said, no pickles. Don't they know? I want no pickles. I've been here before. I'm, it's a new guy. I'm, I don't care. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going back. <laughs> and that's, that's the kind of thing that that really shines through more so than, oh, his blue eyes were the shade of Robin's eggs and sparkled yeah. <laughs> in the sunlight. Like whatever. People are going to forget that. But he came stomping in like an angry rhinoceros and threw the burger in my face because I put pickles on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're going to remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They should. I would. I, that's a great description. I like that. <laughs> You're welcome to use it. Hasn't been oh, yeah. yet, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. It has been so great talking with you. Um, Please tell us where people can find your your many works. Oh, I, I mean, I, I enjoy this very much talking to uh, podcasters and fellow writers. But for, for readers, um, I, you know, I would just go to michaelrfrench.com. I mean, that's that's just, you know, my my Web page and has blogs and all the books and the, the latest book, which I'm trying to, you know, obviously uh, inform people about is um, called Cliffhanger jump before you get pushed and it's it's futuristic it's a little dystopian it's a love story i don't like to write in strict genres i have never been able to do that it it, it would bore me i like to try and you know invent or give birth to something that i haven't done before and make it work and make it interesting to me perfect well thanks again for coming on and take care okay thanks very much and now for comics This week's comic, Smells Like Trash, is a celebration of all the wonderful different wax melts that Scentsy has to offer, even the ones that don't smell good. You can see it on my comics Instagram, at World of Possums, or on Facebook, Possum Pete's Comics. In comic news, Marvel released another batch of NFT comics on Vive, or VV, I'm not really sure how it's, uh, it's V-E-V-E, however you say that. It is a digital collectibles app. Uh, The comics they released for sale are New Mutants number 98, where Cable's first name, Nathan, is first revealed, House of X number 1, and Marvel's number 1. I still don't understand the point of NFTs or non-fungible tokens or really why someone would want to own them, so if someone could explain that to me, that would be great. Comic conventions are slowly coming back now that most adults in the U.S. and Canada have received both doses of their COVID vaccination. Here's a list of upcoming conventions. Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia is scheduled for September 2nd through 6th. Visit dragoncon.org for more information. The weekend of September 10th through 12th is a big one. Rose City Comic Con in Portland, Oregon. Ottawa Comic Con. Florida Supercon in Miami Beach. And Calgary Expo are all happening that weekend. The following weekend, September 16th through 18th, is FanEx Salt Lake. Fan Expo Dallas is scheduled for September 17th through 19th. Central Alberta Fan Fest which I am holding a panel at, is happening online September 27th through October 2nd. You can find out more at pinocalibrary.com. Edmonton Expo is scheduled for October 1st through 3rd. WasabiCon in Jacksonville, Florida is scheduled for October 16th and 17th. And Fanboy Expo in Knoxville, Tennessee is scheduled for October 29th and 30th. There's so many others that are coming back. Those are just a few of my favorites that I like to keep an eye on. If you just Google comic conventions or fan expos, you'll find a list. Then you can look for one that's near you. It's going to be great to get back to normal. I'm not sure if I'm going to be going to the bigger convention this year, like Fan Salt Lake or the Calgary and Edmonton Expos, like I always did pre-pandemic. 
but there's tons of small ones too and those have such an intimate feel you don't get to interact with people in the same way at the big conventions that you do with the small ones if you're going to any conventions this fall send me an email or hit me up on social media and tell me about them Listen up, everybody, because you are not going to want to miss this. Naveo Photo Journals has an exclusive offer for my listeners. With back to school, COVID still going on, and all the regular everyday craziness in the world, Naveo has come up with the perfect solution for sharing photos with faraway family members. Just download their app, add your photos, and tell them where to send it. At the end of the month, Naveo prints and ships your photo book to whoever you ask them to. Your parents in another country, or your brother off at university, or your grandparents you haven't seen before the pandemic, it's up to you. And with this exclusive offer, you can get your first two months absolutely free. Just use discount code BAREFOOT, that's B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T, all capital letters, in the Naveo app. My grandparents love their Naveo photo books, and your relatives will too. All right, next up is journalism. As I continue researching Chad Daybell and Lori Cox, Ryan Vallow Daybell, whatever last name she's going by these days, for the true crime book I'm writing about for JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan, I have been following court updates. Lori remains in the care of a psychiatric facility. Chad's kids came out to publicly state that they don't think their former professional gravedigger father dug the graves for the children found buried in his backyard because, as his son Seth put it, quote, he knew how to dig graves. Chad's oldest daughter, Emma, who inspired Chad's books, An Errand for Emma and Escape to Zion, spoke to 48 Hours contributor John Vigliotti about the shallow graves police found JJ and Tylee in. She seems to not be able to believe her father would do that, but admits that the bodies in his backyard look bad for him and understands why police are investigating him. I'm still working on reading Escape to Zion, and it's bonkers. I can only imagine what it was like for these kids growing up, and my heart goes out to the Daybell kids as much as it does to JJ and Tylee's family. In current events, mobile vaccine clinics are popping up in Edmonton. I visited one this week and spoke to the organizers. Here's audio from that. Current events and creative entrepreneurship. Yeah. As long as I don't have to have uh, bare feet for the podcast, I'm happy to to chat. Yeah. So if you can just give me like a a brief rundown of what you guys are doing. Um, We're from the Edmonton COVID Rapid Response Collaborative, and essentially, um, it's a group of 14 different organizations throughout Edmonton that serve vulnerable populations in one way or another. So I myself work for Action for Healthy Communities, which serves um, immigrants and refugees specifically. We've also partnered with some organizations that serve um, Indigenous groups, other vulnerable groups, anti-poverty, and so on. 
Um, so what we're doing here today is we've got a vaccine bus um, that's just behind me here. One of the advantages of the vaccine bus is that anybody can show up, they can get a first dose or a second dose, Moderna or Pfizer, um, with no need to book an appointment. We know that a lot of people would like to get vaccinated, but because they don't have internet access or they, they have logistical struggles, that they struggle to get uh, vaccinated here in, uh, in Edmonton. So we're here in, um, we're here at St. Pate's, we have a clinic, and um, we're just trying to get as many people vaccinated as we possibly can. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. My barefoot adventures this week included an actual confrontation with a store employee. Those have gotten pretty rare as I usually stick to the same, same stores for the things I need. Had to go to a different store for, you're not going to believe this, new shoes. So I walked into the store barefoot and the first store employee I encountered started to give me a hard time for not having shoes on. Kind of ignored her, kept walking because even though I don't usually go to this store, I have checked their store policies and know they don't actually require shoes. She finally said, you better be here to buy shoes. I just laughed and said, yep, that was the end of that. She made sure I did have those shoes on my way out too. I found it more funny than anything because the one time someone bugged me about it was the one time I was actually buying shoes. I do have to wear shoes at my full-time job. And yes, I dislike it. However, I look at shoes as tools. They're there to protect my feet. So as long as I only wear them when I actually have to and not so often that the muscles of my feet weaken and the tendons of my feet stiffen from constantly being immobilized, then shoes won't become a problem. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with Heather McKenzie, who's running for Edmonton Center's Member of Parliament. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot, on Facebook as Sierra the Barefoot Girl, on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at Barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums, on Facebook, Possum Pete Comics, and at patreon.com slash Possum Pete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.